If you are afraid to hire good people, if you're afraid to kind of invest in infrastructure, then that's your limit, right? There's only so much you can do. Um, you want to be careful about it. You don't want to scale too fast, but you need to scale your backend as well. You need to scale your operation. You need to scale your people. You definitely need to scale your supply chain. So I think that is the biggest thing that's holding people back. Of course, after to get the marketing right. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. The one major takeaway that sticks out to me in my conversation with Dayu Yang of EcomOps is that he said on the program, if you stick to a product, you can see it through to success. Some may agree with that, some might not. And that's what I appreciate about the accumulation of knowledge that I've been a part of here. Dayu Yang, it is good to have you here in Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Uh, very good. Very good to speak with you, Joseph. I'm excited to uh, share share some knowledge and thoughts. And, and, and I'm happy to uh, have the opportunity to uh, acquire as much of that as I can get my hands on for this next hour. Um, but before I do... I, 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 I tend to not want to start with a fluffy question, but I'm going to start with a fluffy question <laughs> specifically because it's geographical based. Um, my, my partner and I, we often talk about going into the States um, and uh, Miami, Florida is like uh, up there as one of like the, the places that uh, we find appealing. And you told me before we started recording that that's where you are right now. Is that your um, place of permanent uh, residence or like if like what, what drives you to stay there? Are you just in there temporarily? Yeah, my my wife is a professor at the University of Miami, so okay. uh, she needs to be here. I can be anywhere in the world. I, I actually prefer to be in China where my business is, uh, but because of COVID right now, I haven't been able to get back. I, I'm a U.S. citizen now. It's one of the first times in recent history having a U.S. passport is not a good thing, actually. <laughs> um, and I haven't been on a plane for well, I, I, I was like a, a, on a plane recently. I got vaccinated, but usually I'm traveling around the world, actually, meeting clients, uh, being in China, running operations. But home is where my wife is. So, you know, I have an apartment in Miami, so this is home for now. Well, you know, I might, I might just um, um, come, come back to that because I think there's some um, uh, keen insights there and just, you know, handling the situation that was presented uh, to you by COVID. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get back to that. So the actual true uh, uh, opening question is for you to tell us what you do and what you're up to these days, which you kind of alluded to, but let's move on from there. Uh, yeah, so I'm the, the founder and CEO of EcomOps. Uh, we specialize as a premium supply chain sourcing and fulfillment service directly out of China. So primarily we serve, uh, you know, we don't really do drop shipping anymore in the traditional model, but we really serve uh, folks who were previously drop shippers who saw a lot of success and are really kind of tired of working with stuff like AliExpress or, you know, kind of the typical drop shipping agents. And, you know, we really build up this, this whole operations to, help them scale to the next level, you know, help them figure out, at least on the supply chain side, um, how can the supply chain keep up with their marketing, keep up with their great stuff and, you know, scale from six, six figures to seven figures to eight figures. 
Um, and also build that into a more sustainable store, more sustainable brand and kind of get out of the grind of just constantly testing new products, generic products, and just kind of the, the ups and downs of the classic dropshipping career, which I think it's, you know, th th there is a still a lot there. Um, but I definitely think that there's a lot of opportunities for the market to mature, uh, for strategies to mature, both on the front end side and also the back end side. And you know, this is where we think that well, I think that, I mean, dropshipping has been an amazing industry in the last couple of years, e-commerce in general. And now it's just starting to really just get more advanced, especially on the marketing front end. And, you know, really we're kind of just leading up the back end of that. Okay. Like you want to scale hard, you want to build a legitimate business. Well, we're here for you. And we do everything from uh, factory management, sourcing, um, direct fulfillment from China around the world with fast shipping speeds and, uh, you know, even stuff like to really get to the next level, um, help you customize products, like actually customize them, not just put a logo on it, like actually customize the, the product itself. We do customize, uh, full products as well. And, uh, we work directly with the factory to make sure that your supply chain is as smooth as possible. Well, that's terrific. And it raises some some observations that I've accumulated over the course of these um, many conversations that I've been fortunate enough to have. Um, and, and before I share those observations, I guess what I'd like to know for terminology's sake is if I, let's just say I'm in the position where I can reach out to uh, EcomOps and uh, and have it um, uh, work, be able to work uh, with the company. I, in my mind, I would still see it as dropshipping because it still seems to follow some of the same um, rules or some of the same logic, which is I'm, I'm still not putting the, 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 the boxes in my apartment uh, or in, in the warehouse, perhaps. Um, there is still a, a, a backend or a fulfillment um, company such as yourself, which is handling that. So that is, I think, one of the core rules that I identify as dropshipping. So when I see the... And, my observations is when I when I see that the 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 stereotype of dropshipping is what's dissipated and probably for the best really because people would just set up these stores, uh, uh, dropship a bunch of products. Maybe they arrived, maybe they didn't. Maybe they arrived broken. Maybe they exploded on on contact. And 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 I'm and I'm happy to see that you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but what I'm seeing is the dropshipping part of e-commerce is now being elevated to the same expectations of quality that really any business. Um, worth its weight has to abide by customer service, quality, dependency, and and some sort of feeling that the company is working towards a, a greater purpose. So I'll go back to the first question, which is how would you define, I guess, the entry level for when people are working with you if they don't feel it should be called dropshipping anymore? Yeah. So maybe we'll start with uh, what at least I, I believe traditional dropshipping is uh, technically is you don't hold any stock obviously. Um, you don't have any risk and, you know, you really have no control of the supply chain at all. Uh, the, 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 the most, uh, pure model is something like dropshipping from AliExpress. AliExpress is, is basically China's Amazon. I mean, AliExpress is not a dropshipping company, right? It's like China's Amazon. Um, and what people do is that when you start out and AliExpress, by the way, is a great place to start out, right? Uh, you find some product you want to sell. It's going to be cheaper than you can sell it from. Uh, we can sell it for, and you start marketing it, and basically you make money on the margin. You just order products one by one, or use some kind of tool like DSers or Overload, for example, and order it in bulk. However, just like ordering from Amazon, the seller on AliExpress, like you know, he or she is not preparing for thousands of units of products, you know, just to support you. Maybe, maybe they do, but it's not just for you, right? Like right. They, they are just standard sellers, right? So because of that. 
you really have no transparency into what you're actually getting. You have no transparency in their stock levels. Uh, the stock is all fake, by the way. They say they have nine ninety nine. You know, it's it, it, it's all fake. You know, um, and uh, but there's a lot of benefits to that. You know, like beginners, I really recommend to start with AliExpress because there's no risk. You can just find a product idea, find it on AliExpress, hook it up to your store, go to store in like a day, and just start selling, right? And when you sell low volume, like a couple orders per day, just to test your Facebook ads, that's totally fine. I mean, it's just like someone just buying a bunch of stuff on Amazon, right? Like that totally works, right? However if you really want to scale, like once you scale up to like 50, 500, you know, orders per day, like AliExpress, like that seller doesn't even know that you're preparing to scale up, right? So they're not preparing for you. Not to mention you have no control over the branding or very little control over the branding, very little control over the product quality. Now, fast forward to working with someone like us. We kind of take, you know, kind of just one additional step where, you know, when you think about, you know, when you're mentioning, okay, look, Obviously, you don't have goods in your garage, for example, sending out, right? But, you know, what if you're using like a US-based fulfillment company, like ShipBob, for example? You know, what if you order uh, goods from the factory, put it on a, a, a you know, a, a container ship, you know, arrives in the US and use a fulfillment center to fulfill your products? That's obviously not dropshipping anymore. And the way that we operate is that basically it's that same model, except we fulfill directly from China. So when we work with clients that, okay, let's figure out what product you're selling and you're selling well already, we're going to work directly with the factory. All right, we're going to work directly with the factory. We're going to find the best version possible, you know, at a decent price um, of this. And depending on your order volume, like if you want smooth fulfillment, you need inventory, right? We're going to order like 500 or 1,000 of it so that your fulfillment just happens right away and it's predictable as well. And the great thing is that Something that has to go on a boat to LA and then go to your fulfillment warehouse, that's going to take weeks and sometimes months to actually get there. Whereas from the factory to our warehouse, it's going to take like anywhere between 24 hours to maybe a couple days, maybe five days, right? So, and, and then, you know, China shipping right now, like it can be as fast as like, you know, five to seven days in the UK and US. Um, and it's highly efficient and it's pretty cost effective, especially if you compare the freight costs on the other side. Um, this means that you get all of the benefits and the flexibility of the supply chain elements of drop shipping. However, this is where you start getting more control in the process. And this is where, um, you know, we're a little bit different from other agents uh, or suppliers who kind of have this model as well. Is because, you know, when I started this, one of the values that I really believed in was that you as a store owner, you, you, you want a partner in the back end, you know, in the traditional, like let's say retail model, right? You're gonna probably have like a VP of supply chain or something like that, right? You're gonna have a whole team handling your supply chain. Um, obviously you don't really need that anymore. Um, however, your supply chain shouldn't just be a transactional service, right? Like we're not a transaction to our clients. We're true partners with them. And we discuss with them, okay, how much inventory do you need? Um, is there any kind of issues you have the products when it work directly with the factory to improve it? Actually many times, even for generic products, because of the cycle of improvement, we often end up with the best even generic product on the market because we have so much volume with the factory and like we're able to actually get them to improve the product and many times for free as well. And so, you know, this is kind of where we start to transcend the, the, the traditional dropshipping model, but we 
have still a lot of the important benefits of much shorter lead times, much more flexibility, um, and just much less risk in terms of holding inventory, right? Because if you're holding inventory in, in the U.S., you might need like 10,000 units to support like your volume. Whereas in, in China, we just order like, you know, 500 units at a time. And then like, okay, it runs out. Well, it's going to take three more days to get here anyway. So just keep ordering. So you get all that flexibility without a lot of that risk. And, but, but I think in order for um, someone to be, because I would have to ask you, okay, I need you to order 500 units of this product. So in order to have that degree of certainty that those 500 units are going to move, uh, the business has to have to have made it to a certain level where there is activity, sales are, are coming in um, consistently. So one thing I made sure to check from the YouTube videos is the degree of transparency and you obviously you protect your clients' well um, uh, interests. So um, it's up to you to how detailed you can get with the answer to this question. But are there um, case studies or um, instances to your recollection of the typical process of or like what st state a business is in when it's um, mature enough to be able to work with you? Yeah, so generally we require a minimum of 50 orders per day, um, you know, of steady volume on a certain product because anything, or, you know, we're a little bit flexible, 30, 40 is close enough, right? But the entire idea is that your business is stable enough. You might have used AliExpress at first or some smaller agent or something like CJ Dropshipping, for example, but your business is at a stable state to take it to the next level. That's the point where clients work with us. That is what we're specifically good for. Because I think that before you get that consistency, you probably should be always testing. You should be testing new products. And this is kind of where I go back to the benefits of using something like AliExpress because you get all that flexibility, right? Like you can just test products like that. It doesn't work out. You kill it. Um, um, but you find you, you, you start to hit a winner, then you work with someone like us. And you did kind of bring up a question about, okay, like, you know, maybe our, our clients might be thinking about, okay, like, you know, ordering 500 a time. So this is kind of where, depending on what the client really wants to control or wants us to control, we also have, um, you know, specific, you know, ways that we project inventory needs, um, I mean, this is kind of where it's helpful, obviously, have steady volume, right? So if you have like 50 orders per day and your lead time is going to be like three days to our warehouse, then maybe we get like five days worth of inventory at a time, right? So it's like it's not getting too much. Uh, we have a little bit buffer just in case you scale up. And then this is also where our partnership and communications with our clients is really important. Um, one of the things that tends to happen, we don't communicate with your supply chain is that you start scaling up and it's super, super exciting, right? And we were preparing for 50 orders per day and you scale up to a thousand per day. It's happened before multiple times, by the way. You do the math, right? Your inventory is out and then you're kind of back at square one and, and you have supply chain disruptions as well. So, you know, one of the things that not only us and, and actually, even if you work with another supplier, I highly suggest that you communicate with them. Feed them information. We can only see your orders after they come in. We don't know what's going on in your plans, in your mind. You know, if you're ready to scale, tell your supplier. You know, uh, you want to double your ad spend. Maybe you want to double your inventory. Right? Um, tell your supplier and work with them to just start getting that ready and on the way, so that you're not facing sometimes week long disruptions simply because there's no more stock. I don't expect it happens very often, but. Has there been situations where both parties were surprised at how things are suddenly surging? 
like <laughs> things this is the product just happens to go viral then all of a sudden they they keep sending you a 3 a.m panic text like, i got good news and i got bad news and it's the same thing yeah you know what i uh, yes yes all the time by the way yeah no I, idea. I do find that surprising because it's 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 just it seems like such a um, part of the pipe dream aspect of it, which is one of those myths you want to dispel is the idea that, oh, yeah, all of a sudden you're just going to get flooded with all these orders. And it seems like I just to me, it didn't seem like it's going to happen that often. But sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, it, it, it happens all the time. I mean, especially doing something like Q4, for example, like things seem to blow up, but not not even just in Q4. Sometimes things just blow up, you know, when someone. So when someone finds a winning Right. And, and honestly, even if someone else is selling already, right, if they find a really amazing marketing angle, um, that's one of the great things about like, you know, something like Facebook ads or something like affiliate marketing, for example, is that if it's scalable, you could just blow it to the moon. Like, I mean, there's there's no stopping. Right. I mean, we all know that the more marketing spend you 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 push your ROAS tends to go down, right? It's kind of an equation. But the thing is, like, especially if someone's experience and you see the numbers and you have so much room, just just really scale it up. Um, but yes, I mean, I've had situations where um, a client, you know, he'll you know work with us. Okay, we're going to plan for like like two hundred orders per day. Let's get it ready. And uh, but it could get bigger, you know, to be prepared. So like we'll have like kind of the factory already kind of just have being mentally prepared. And the next day it's like, hey, Dayu, like we sold like 4,000 units yesterday. So like, can we get like more factories? Can we just get that ramped up right now? So yes, it does happen. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, obviously, but I will say it is not a pipe dream. I mean, we've seen, um, I mean, we've seen like, you know, millionaires getting made over like a couple of weeks period where something is just extremely hot. And this is also something that, especially if you want to take advantage of your experience, if you want to take advantage of, you know, what that hype is going to be, you know, like of the success, then you know, you just scale way up. And that's exactly why you need to work with someone who actually understands the supply chain, right? Because, you know, in that one case, for example, where all of a sudden scaled up to like 4,000 units per day, um, we reserved a factory their capacity was 2000 units per day right so like you know literally the factory's capacity like they couldn't make more than i mean you know factories have physical constraints they have physical people they have to deal with so this is where we actually scrambled and, we're, and we got at two more factories i mean at some point we had like a hundred something factory workers across like two and a half factories all just working on this client product this is something that obviously aliexpress is not going to be able to handle and um I would honestly say most most suppliers, most agents, they just don't know how to handle that. You know, one secret I'm going to tell you guys is that the vast majority of suppliers out there, they don't even talk to factories, really. Like, they order from Alibaba or, like, the, the Chinese version of Alibaba. You know, it's like, it's almost like dropshipping a dropshipper sometimes. You know, it's like, you know, they order the units, like, just online. They don't even talk to them. They don't really kind of plan with them, you know. That is, you know, obviously not the right way to do things if you really want that steady um, steady supply chain in terms of like stock, in terms of product quality as well. Yeah, as, as you're describing the relationship of, so there's AliExpress and then there's Alibaba. And then I I should know this because uh, I looked into it. I, I, my, my gut's telling me it's Taobao, but I, I'm not. It just reminded yeah. me of those Russian nesting dolls where each one, there's like a smaller <laughs> doll on the inside of it. As you're describing, you know, the, um, the, the, the reality of how, how this happens. Okay. The opposite question came to mind and I'm asking it for the fun of it, which is 
has the opposite happened where somebody you know calls you up texts you up says you know be, be ready a storm's coming and then it, it, turn, it turns out nothing nothing really happens and the reason why i asked that is because i'm wondering if there was any lesson learned where they realized maybe their ad wasn't quite targeted or wasn't quite scaled effectively maybe they mismanaged their budget but there is something identifiable where they could actually uh, extract some information and figure out what went wrong. Yeah, definitely. Look, um, I think that, you know, we work with a lot of the most experienced clients in the industry. And I will tell you that, um, so scaling up to huge numbers is definitely not a pipe dream. However, uh, even the most experienced people in the industry are not going to have a hundred percent hit rate. Um, they can feel hundred percent confident about something. And yes, there have been, multiple situations, many situations, probably countless situations where there is a lot of confidence in a product, let's get it ready. And uh, well, actually this kind of speaks to also like one of the benefits of still being able to fulfill from China as well, right? Because traditionally, if you really want to take a big bet, you got to wait like a month for it to actually arrive. And then you got to order like 5,000 units, sell 5,000 units, right? Yeah, there's a boat involved. Exactly, exactly. So for what we do is that, hey, look, your lead time is like three days anyways. You got a factory kind of standing by, right? Um, just get started. And then like, um, as soon as you see the results, then you can ramp up. Now, you know, so here's a lesson in terms of the advertising side, right? I think that um, especially like if, as you get more experience in marketing, uh, you're going to get, a, you're going to start to get a really good feeling for if something works or not very, very early on right? You run ads for a day and like your role ads is just like nothing, right? Uh, top of the funnel stats look terrible, you know, like you just kill it, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so like in terms of any kind of pattern that I see like with that happening, not really because like in some ways everything is kind of like that. It's not gambling, you know, but but everything has like a chance of success. I would say that even our most successful clients, um, they're looking at maybe something like, uh, maybe like a 50% success rate, but just for kind of something that's not losing money, you know, for like kind of like break even, you know, uh, but something that becomes a huge, massive winner, like even the most successful folks, maybe 20, 30% or so. Right. And I think the lesson learned here is that like, you just got to do it. You, know, you got to just prepare like all of your knowledge, you know, everything you know about marketing, your audiences, and just, just throw ads at it and just see if it works. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about like, you know, something like Facebook ads, right? I know a lot of people have problems with Facebook ads recently, but the most beautiful thing about Facebook ads is all the data, all the data across the entire funnel. So I think um, the most experienced folks, like they have a full understanding of the entire funnel. They have that gut feeling that's based on logic and based on experience of like, Let's assume every product is going to be a runaway success, obviously, but let's de-risk as well. Let's not order 5,000 units, maybe start 100 units for now, and they're going to start seeing their top of the funnel stats. And um, that's already going to show them like how like one to three days of ads sometimes is going to tell you if it's going to be a massive winner or a total dud, right? Um, so, you know, that's just going to be my advice. Obviously, learn as much as possible, get as much experience as possible, but just don't be afraid to just like feel confident about something as long as it makes sense and just start running ads at it. Um, now, obviously, if you don't have your supply chain prepared, if you're still using AliExpress, then you should probably not like just start crushing your your marketing right away. But but then you'd like, you know, find an agent, find someone like us and, you know, you slow down for a week until you build your supply chain. 
And as you're describing these uh, the, these challenges of scaling, um, one thing that I would like to, I guess, get more uh, clarity on is, is it primarily around scaling from a five-figure to a six-figure, um, six-figure to seven-figure? I imagine that, you know, you go from seven to eight, you go from eight to nine, and you'll have to forgive me, I, I don't know what is the the, the limit. Uh, but in, in, in the different uh, tiers or the different uh, milestones or whatever is the most uh, equitable term to call it, um, what challenges change from like six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine? Yeah. So I think that, I think getting to like six figures per year, um, low to mid six figures, I think that's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's relatively straightforward as long as you kind of, you know, are diligent about learning what you're doing and kind of doing the right things. Right. And honestly, if you're like, you know, kind of low six figures, like that's at a point where you're not necessarily, it's not so important to think about your operations. You know, not just your supply chain, even like I've seen plenty of folks like scale to like six figures just by themselves and maybe like one VA or, you know, I've seen folks literally just, you know, answering customer service tickets by themselves, like literally one person scaling to six figures. Right now, beyond that, that's when you need to think about it as a real business. I mean, this is no longer just, you know, something that you're a fun hobby or kind of like get quick rich kind of scheme. Right. Once you get to that point, you have to think about your operations. Right. And I think this is kind of where a lot of um, folks struggle, um, not necessarily a fault to their own, right? Because you think about it, like a lot of folks get into dropshipping without necessarily like a deep background in business experience, most likely like no supply chain experience, right? Uh, they haven't had experience like hi- hiring people, scaling up a team, managing a team, and definitely not experience like actually managing a supply chain, right? So this is where I see a lot of folks getting a little bit stuck. Right. Um, they start to try to juggle like the marketing side and trying to like, you know, handle customer service, or maybe they have some uh, VAs, you know, but still, like, it, they become too stretched and there is no structure, there's no organization for actually scaling up beyond that level. So, this is where actually, like, roughly at that point, is where you really want to start thinking about building up a team, you know, even if it's kind of like a team of VAs, like you, you want to build up a solid team, a solid structure, a solid process with your SOPs and everything like that. And on the supply chain, this is where you're definitely going to outgrow something like AliExpress or a small agent because, you know, a legit, like a seven figure business, eight figure business, you need a real supply chain. You need a real business. It, I will tell you, it is a pipe dream to, to imagine that you're you're going to be like one guy paying like one VA and have a seven figure business and you get it all for yourself, all the margins for yourself, you know that is the pipe dream. Um, so you really need to invest in your infrastructure and and all of our biggest uh, clients, you know they have you know sometimes massive teams. I mean like you know like offices, um, like teams of VAs, like you know partners, you know media buyers, you know um, and. Obviously, like, you know, one of the things is that, like, I, I definitely suggest that people who are kind of on that threshold level is don't worry too much about the cost. You, you obviously have to be aware of the cost, but that's what's going to hold you back, right? If you want to, if you are afraid to hire good people, if you're afraid to kind of invest in your infrastructure, then that's your limit, right? There's only so much you can do. Um, you want to be careful about it. You don't want to scale too fast, but you need to scale your backend as well. You need to scale your operation. You need to scale your people. And you definitely need to scale your supply chain. So I think that is the biggest thing that's holding people back, of course, after they get the marketing right. 
You know, one thing that stuck out to me in that is as you're describing someone in the six figure range that for them, it's time to um, think about uh, legitimizing their, their business. I would have thought much sooner than that. Like if I, if I had even got into like a, a five figure range or even four figure, like a couple of thousand dollars over the course of the year, I think, man, I made that money. I'm legit now. <laughs> so I don't know if there's like a point where, um, turn going professional in a person's mind might be too early on in the game. Like they start to like, I don't know, their ego gets ahead of them or something like that. But when they're, when they're earning, um, uh, six figures, What's been the, the the mindset that these people have when they when they're coming to you, and what adjustments do they need to make at that point? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that it obviously depends on the business. It depends on your margins as well, right? Because if you make like a hundred k over a year, your margins are very low, like ten percent. Then you're not actually making that much on that, you know, like actual gross revenue, right? Um, the way that I think about like um, how they want to scale up is you really want to think about what your core competencies are. Right? And then most likely it's going to be marketing. Um, most likely it's going to be that. And then you, um, like, as it gets ready to scale, and, and actually the, the trigger for when you think about scaling up everything else is actually not the top line revenue number, right? It's all about, well, you got to be aware of your actual margins, right? Like I've seen plenty of folks that like, do like high six figures and not make that much money from it because like, it's just not a high margin business they're actually running. Right. Um, I've seen other folks where they own, like it's on track for five figures, but the ROAS is amazing. And this is such a scalable product. And that's when they actually start investing in building out a team. Right. So I think the most important thing to think about, like, as you kind of like, you know, start seeing that breakout success is you want to first confirm it's a breakout success. Because it is also very easy to just look at your top line numbers, not really think about like how all the costs add up, not really thinking about your net margins quite as much, and not really thinking about the fact that like, look, as you, as you pump ads, as you 10 times your ad spend, your ROAS is going to go down. It's always going to go down at that level. Uh, do you actually have the margin to scale up? You know, so I think that a lot of times, and I think this is something that you know, if you, if you watch YouTube videos, whether dropshippers, like they're all talking about the top line numbers, right? And, uh, but that's not the most important. You want to, you want to understand what your margins are. You want to understand how, um, how it tends to look in terms of like kind of your, your profitability, right? The more profitable you are, the more room that you have to scale up. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the real trigger. I mean, obviously, like if you're making five, if you're on track for five figures a year and your margins are really good, but like at the end of the day, your net margin is still not, I mean, like margin dollar amount is probably not a right time to scale. Um, but I will say this. I mean, again, this is one of the beautiful things about like something like Facebook ads is that once things start working and you have a feeling that's scalable, it's so scalable. Like obviously ROAS goes down, but it doesn't go down as fast as people think as long as it's a scalable product. And I think that I definitely advise folks though, kind of at that level to be honest with yourself. Um, we've also seen folks who like, are super confident, but I think that maybe they weren't that honest with themselves. Like, hey, like my margins aren't that good, but I'm, I'm at six figures. Maybe if I just build a team, maybe if I just push it hard, maybe my margins will increase. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily know if like that math really works out, right? There's other ways to improve your margins. Like, I mean, for example, right? If you're selling a generic product and you brand it, right? And you brand it and you prove it so that you can actually like, um, differentiate yourself from the rest of the market, you can charge a higher price on it because it's a better product. You know, those are really smart ways to improve 
your margins. Um, and, you know, kind of like, like that makes the math make sense. However, you know, there's costs associated with that. You want to really commit to a product. So it's kind of the same kind of situation, right? Unless you feel like super good about this product. And it's not feel, by the way, <laughs> unless you do the math and also feel it's, it, it's a super scalable product. I definitely suggest that you kind of figure out if this is still the right product. Um, I mean, look, I also think it's totally fine if you say, hey, look, I made some decent money from this, but margins aren't that great. I don't know if I can really scale it up. Just kind of run with it for as long as you can, you know, kind of maybe like slowly scale down, but still make some good money, make it a little cash cow. And then um, one of the things, by the way, is that like what I always suggest is a lot of times, by the way, like we have folks who maybe get a little bit fortunate, right? Like, like there is a certain amount of luck in uh, it's not like gambling, right? But like I said, even the most successful folks, they have maybe like a 50% rate, right? And obviously newer folks are going to have lower than that, but still you have some chance of it. And uh, we see it sometimes when they get a little bit lucky and they scale up and, uh, you know, they buy a car or something, you know? Uh, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, you know, like uh, reinvest that into your learning. Like if it doesn't seem like this is going to be something that you're going to build a multi-year brand, save some cash, like move on to the next product, you know, get something that is much more scalable and kind of just like, you know, build from that, you know, and, and ultimately like, I mean, you can keep doing that, you know, and still keep making money or you, you finally find a product or a niche where you can really build a long lasting brand from. Now, uh, uh, talking about the, um, the testing of products as well as testing as brands, and I'm going to throw myself into the crucible here because, um, you know, this is a part of uh, what I figured, which is, so what, what I learned is test this product. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's, it's not. Don't put my heart on the product. Um, however, the brand, on the other hand, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's not like a, an, an excessive passion of mine or anything like that, but it is something that I'm enthusiastic about, which is working remotely. And so my thought process is product doesn't work. Brand still has this elasticity to it where, you know, there's content involved. Um, maybe there's an affiliate marketing as like a side revenue, which, by the way, I'm also going to ask you about uh, if, you've, uh, if you've identified uh, if businesses, if you've identified side revenue. But we'll get to that. So what would you say is the ratio of brands being killed because the brand didn't work versus products being killed because the product didn't work? Um, well, I, 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 well, so I think at the end of the day, the product has to work. Um, if you brand a product no one wants, no one really cares about it anyways, right? Um, I would say that, mm, okay, you know, I, I, I'm also going to kind of answer a little bit of a different question as well, is that... Um, is there just, there's just one thing that I just want to clarify just to make sure. Um, so when I, when I say that, like, it wouldn't be like a one product branded store, like the brand isn't around the product. The brand is like a, a means to explore other product options. So even if the product were to go there would be other products that would still fill some of the same ideology as the brand. So I just want to make sure that was clear. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, I, I was actually going to talk about that, you know, so it's so it a good reminder, actually. So I think generally, sometimes people, maybe a lot of people, honestly, to be completely frank, think about branding a little bit in an incorrect way. Um, branding, like what is branding? It's not just a logo. It's not just a color, right? Branding, like, you know, branding is something like, I mean, Imagine something like Nike, right? Nike, like just do it, you know, or like, um, like find your greatness, you know, like great campaigns, right? I mean, they're not even talking about shoes, you know, like, like they're not even selling shoes at all. But a, a true brand that you want to build is something that you find a connection with your audience. So if you can do that, I see a lot of success 
with that. And just like you said, then the product itself becomes product is still important. You know, your product life is still important, right? But if you have and build that connection with your customers, then you can sell a lot of stuff. Um, so uh, we definitely have clients like that. You know, they, they built up a brand. Maybe one product didn't work quite as well, but actually like that one product still works a lot better than if someone else is selling with other brand anyway. And, and, they, and then they sell related products. So once you get to that point, it's definitely like, you know, you have a high chance of success. Now, obviously that kind of branding is a lot harder to do than just putting a logo on something finding a domain, you know? So, you know, this is kind of where I want to clarify. Whereas I do think that kind of like that more simple branding, that the more simple branding is just a little bit of, of a one-up beyond a generic product, basically, right? Because, okay, then people are going to see this product. Oh, it's your brand. Okay, it's better than this generic version. Um, however, like that's just all they think about. Okay, like it's probably better, but I don't really know this brand. It seems like it's nice, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to purchase from them again, but I like this product. Right. So that kind of branding is going to be a little bit more similar in kind of success rates as if you were just um, selling a generic product. Because these days, like even if you sell a generic product, you're probably not going to be doing something that looks really ugly. Right. You're still going to have a nice looking store. You probably have a branded store name already. It's just, in the, it's just not the product is branded. Right. Um, one other thing, uh, you know, I want to say about testing as well, you know, because you kind of mentioned like, okay, you know, maybe think about testing something really quickly and just kind of give it up. Um, you know, it didn't work out. Um, one interesting thing I've seen in the industry is that I've just seen so many products that, I mean, like, you know, we don't name products that our clients sell, but like so many of the standard generic products, like you probably see top 10 lists of like, you know, dropshipping products um, that like everyone, like a lot of people say, oh, this is saturated. Like it doesn't work anymore. And people test it and immediately after a day, like, you know, they just give up on it. Uh, what we've also seen our, our clients doing huge, massive numbers with the exact same product and with a different marketing angle. Um, and, you know, like, you know, maybe they, um, they don't necessarily kind of like uh, make a profit, for example, on the first sale. But then, I mean, one really important thing that I want people to take away is that like, you know, part of getting away from this just simple traditional dropshipping mindset is that you want to think about your customer LTV as well, right? Uh, you want to think about like repeat purchases. You want to think about like add-on products. You want to think about like, okay, well, what can you email market them to them later? A lot of our biggest clients, they would straightfor straightforwardly admit that they don't even make money on the first sale. We have a lot of clients who are like that. They use some kind of crazy funnel system. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are actually using click funnels these days as well. Upsells, cross-sells, like downsells, you know, and then like email marketing afterwards. Like some of our biggest clients are totally happy if they're like even break even on the first sale, right? So this is something that, you know, I want people to be aware of, you know, just because like break even on the first sale is not necessarily bad. And obviously like kind of building out the back end requires like more experience, but hey, you know, like, you want to be an e-commerce entrepreneur, like, you know, learn that experience and like, figure out how to build your backend and actually increase that value after the first sale. And that's where you really start to get really scalable, right? Because if you're, if you're so focused on that first sale, like that, that is exactly what happens when someone like scales up to like six, seven figures. And then it just kind of dies down because they have no backend on that, you know, because it's all just focused on the first sale. And if you do that, then your competition sees your ads, they copy your ad, they copy the same product. And then at the end of the day, Facebook is an auction system. And uh, if you can't like outspend your competition, then you're just not going to win. But having that backend literally allows you to outspend your competition and win those customers.
Yeah, it almost sounds to me like it's out invest the competition in that while I'm spending an X amount on ads by um, accurately and wisely investing my money in the ideal backend. Um, that exactly. means the money that I am spending is going is going a longer way. Exactly. Exactly. So you you, you mentioned um, you know th- throughout you know, the the evolution of of being on AliExpress, and I think ads are an extension of this evolution as well. So it see from my um, uh, perspective right now, such as it is, it, I feel I feel I, I hate to use the word feel in what's supposed to be a data driven uh, industry, but I've done it. That there's two levels of ads. Um, there's the there's the ad that is like if the AliExpress system were to be personified as a commercial, it would be this. It's this, you, you get the footage from the AliExpress um, page, uh, put in some some cheery music, and and you're off to the races. And and I feel like those ads, there's that word again. Those ads are an extension of the system, which to me doesn't seem to provide a lot of good long term value. And then on the other hand, and are are ads that are this whole campaign that stick out to, in people's minds to this day, um, um, stuff like Doctor Squatch or um, Dollar Shave Club. You know these these are viral ads that just they surge across the internet and they and they leave a lasting impression. Even if somebody doesn't buy the product, there's something about them that sticks. Now again, I can't you know you can't you can't say anything about the about what uh, what your clients are doing specifically. But I'm wondering if you've ever seen like a middle point between these two. Is like what is what have been like the sharpest most focused ads that have really helped your businesses uh, scale to the seven figure range, eight figure range? I think. The middle ground is definitely the best. So first of all, you can't build a business hoping it's going to go viral. Like I mean, like that's great, right? But uh, the the, vi- the virality formula is honestly really hard to figure out, right? So so like that that is not a sustainable way to think about business. Uh, so you should never hope for that. Um, you might you might try, but like you know that's not really kind of like a reasonable target. And in terms of just like copying ads, you know, like uh, copying videos. Um, that also doesn't scale. It works though. It definitely does work. And, you know, this is kind of like, well, so you, you, you think about someone testing um, on AliExpress, uh, using AliExpress, right? I, I think it's totally fine. You know, just kind of use those ads for now, use their videos for now. Uh, you should edit it though, obviously, like edit out Chinese, you know, kind of put your own captions, put your own spin to it. Um, because the thing is like, First of all, like if you want to test quickly, you're not gonna you don't want to wait two weeks for it to arrive to you first to just you know shoot your own ad, right? You don't want to invest that time and effort, right? Um, and it's not just the video, it's not just the creative, it's also your copy as well, it's also your, your targeting as well, right? Um, you know, people do the exact same things, literally same copy, slightly different targeting, you know, hugely different results, or slightly different copy, hugely different results, slightly different angle, hugely different results, right? Uh, what I actually suggest is just go ahead and just use those ads. And, uh, but as soon as you see success, I mean, similar to kind of start, start starting to build out your supply chain, then you get samples of that product. Then you start shooting your own unique content. Um, but I will honestly say that sometimes like content is also like a little bit overrated uh, and it's important if your product is really good. I've seen clients scale up to like a million dollars using a picture ad. Like, like a picture and, you know, one ad, like literally, you know, they probably got a little bit lucky there to be fair, you know, but um, at the end of the day, I think on the marketing side, it's like what works just works. And sometimes you just don't know, right? Like, you know, sometimes crappy looking ads, like, you know, they just work, right? Because maybe they look more authentic, more real, whatever, you know? Um, so to kind of like generally answer that question, it's like, 
the test testings. I mean, constantly testing the best people in the game, constantly testing, and do not have any kind of preconceived notions of like what is supposed to be done. Like I would even say, well, once you get more experience, I think that when you first start out, like, you know, obviously listen to the expert, try to emulate what they're doing. But as you kind of like get past that beginner stage, don't have preconceived notions of what you're supposed to do. The more people who do the same thing, the more competition there is. Uh, the more that you can actually test things that are completely uh, different than whatever, even if it seems weird, even if it seems like not best practice, you know, uh, once in a while, you're going to hit a huge winner that, you know, it's going to take a long time for competitors to figure out. I think that's a fantastic answer. And, and one thing I just wanted to um, add at the tail end of that, because uh, I, I didn't uh, remember it when I said uh, Dollar Shave Club, but I remember it now, which is that thing didn't go viral by accident, by the way. There actually was a lot of work and a lot of money spent getting it into the right hands so that they all these different um, chain reactions would occur all at once. So, yeah, like it, it really was was a lot less luck than people think. And it's been it's been a while since I even brought that up, but just wanted to, to tag that one at the end there. By the way. If you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. We're, we're getting close. Not, we're, we still have some, we still got some time. Um, but there's certainly like a, a wealth of stuff that I still wanted to talk about. And one of them is I actually wanted to uh, do a little bit of, a, of history, hear a little bit more about the history of, a, of the company. So when exactly did it start? And it, it's amazing to think of, you know, where, where it is now uh, compared to uh, where it might have been when it began. But uh, I would really like to know about like at the, at the time of its uh, inception, what were you guys doing and what were you guys identifying was a problem that other people weren't solving? Yeah, yeah. So maybe, um, you know, maybe I'll start with a little bit on my background because it's all very, very related. Sure. Um, so, Sounds good. Yeah, so I was, uh, I, I started my career in tech. You know, so I, I, I grew up in, uh, in San Francisco. I went to Stanford. I was all about like tech. I, I used to be a product manager making mobile games. Um, and uh, like, you really mentioned that is because when I was making mobile games, like they were free to play games, like free to download and like you get people to pay after the fact, right? This is where it really kind of drove into me, like the importance of customer lifetime value. Like literally every customer or every player you acquire as a free to play game, you lose money, literally, right? And then you try to make it back, you know, to, to try to get them to buy more things, right? And then I moved on for that. Um, I uh, got my MBA and then I was a consultant. Um, at BCG for a while. And that's where I kind of really got this uh, this urge to start my own company. And the first company that I started uh, was Pillar Learning. Um, the product was Cody. It was like a smart toy device uh, for kids. And uh, we're actually just last year, last December, we're actually on Shark Tank. We're actually walking with a deal, you know, so that was exciting. Um, however, before we went on Shark Tank, there was kind of a period where, okay, like it wasn't like... It was successful enough to keep running and kind of sell to customers, uh, but it wasn't really kind of making me a lot of money. And I was spending my wife's credit cards and things. So I was like, okay, I really need to do something to make some money. And I was like, hey, this is where I learned about drop shipping. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so much. So the product I made, it was like, it was fully custom produced. Like I was at the factories, like it was like half a million dollars in investment. And I was like, drop shipping, this is 
much easier than what I'm doing. Like these 17 year old kids like making a million bucks, apparently, you know, on YouTube. Um, so that's how I actually started a couple of gotcha food stores. And that was probably back in 2018 or so. And I was like, wow, like I'm actually making money here, like a couple thousand dollars per day. Um, that was actually when I realized two things. One is that I didn't really like the creative side of marketing that much. And I think you kind of have to like want, like enjoy at least like kind of making ads. So I was like, okay, maybe this is not perfect for me. And the other thing I realized was like, wow, the supply chain is broken. Like there is no supply chain at all, right? Like AliExpress is not a supply chain. Like, like what is this? You know, because of my past experience, I was like, okay, so many people are making money. And then I was also in a lot of Facebook groups and, and I just hear about people just getting, just, just having their entire supply chain implode. You know, right when they scale, which is obviously when you want things to be the smoothest, right? So this is where I mean, I mean, it, it, it kind of hurt me because these guys were in my community and my friends. Like, wow, these guys are like hardworking people, and they finally start to scale, and then bam, like you know, their supply chain breaks down. PayPal like holds the funds, uh, Facebook shuts them down. So this is where I was kind of like, hey, look, you know, I um, I think I want to level up this industry. Um, it deserves to be leveled up. Because I see, you know, I'm a good, I'm actually very good friends with a couple of like big drop trippers, uh, Jordan Welsh, uh, Gabriel St. Germain, for example. And uh, like, I saw that, hey, people are doing like really advanced things. And like the whole front end was maturing, but the back end was not keeping up. And that's where I saw the opportunity, especially given my background in production and supply chain, to then start e-com ops. That was like something, it was around 2019 or so. You know, so roughly two years ago. And when I first started, by the way, like I didn't have a website. Um, I was in Prague on vacation. I had this idea and I, 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 I like wrote a PDF in like two hours. And I started like just DMing people in Facebook groups, um, like kind of talking about my value proposition, um, which was, I mean, basically it's exactly what I told you. Like, like I want to build your supply chain for you. And like, I got the first client in like, you know, like four hours. And I was like, hey, this, this potentially has some legs, right? I mean, because to me, when you ha- want to build a sustainable business, it's not about how much money that you hope to make from it, right? It's about the value you can actually bring to others and the money comes naturally. If you think about the money first, that's exactly you get to the point where, okay, maybe it's actually not that valuable. Maybe it's kind of artificial, but when you can actually figure out what that product market fit is or service market fit, what do people actually desperately need? And uh, that's where if you meet that demand and that's like the money just comes naturally as part of serving that demand. So that's where Ecom Ops grew and it just grew rapidly through the last two years. Last year, we did over a million units uh, in sales, you know, like estimated probably our clients made like, you know, 50 million revenue on, on that or something like that, um, you know, 50 million or more. This year, we're probably on track for like, you know, 3 million units this year, or, you know, hopefully more. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, so that's like, I think that we, uh, we got to this point because the value, the mission was clear and it was necessary, um, from the very start. And, uh, you know, like all of this was from what well, started with a PDF. And then I started a YouTube channel and a Facebook group, you know, like, you know, we might've spent like a couple hundred dollars worth of Facebook ads just to test it, but are like, oh, you know, like, like clients are coming to us anyways. We don't need it. I mean, it just kind of really grew, uh, grew organically, you know, word of mouth. Um, and, and yeah, you know, this is an example. I didn't, you know, I'm very like happy that we're here, honestly, because the way I think about like where, where e-commerce rent positions itself is more of 
like I said, we want to level up the whole industry. Um, and actually, that's part of the reason why I have that YouTube channel, right? I mean, it's all free content, you know, like I don't ask anything other than just check it out, right? Um, I'm super excited to be part of this because I think that dropshippers, e-commerce entrepreneurs, they deserve it. You know, they, they deserve to at least have an option to, to, to feel that, okay, if we work with e-commerce, you can feel confident that they're not going to bullshit us. They're going to be transparent. They're going to work with us um, if they're there. And, you know, I'm also happy for newer folks who might not be able to work with us yet, you know, providing them as much free content and knowledge as possible so that, well, one, to level the whole industry and hopefully eventually even years from now, you know, they can work with us and we build something great together. There's two things that I find remarkable about that. Um, one is how evident the issue was, you know, to the point where people are saying that their that their websites have ex, you know have exploded, and not in a good way, where their supply chains have fallen out from under them, and now they're they're in serious dire straits. They got to cancel ads and all, and the, all the, and, this, and they're probably losing money. So you know things were pretty well, not as like emergencies. No one was dying, but there was an urgency to it. Um, so that's the first thing I find remarkable. The second thing I find remarkable is the i think the the sincerity of your of your story and how the rules of what make it a success are the same rules that i've noticed are true about something as intimate like a previous guest Kia James or Paris Northcutt who were making skincare and candles respectively they they were they identify a problem they found a solution and through uh, you know a mixture of reaching out to others but also others reaching out to them um, they found that they, the success they're finding, the success that you're finding is based on your ability to serve others. And if there's any takeaway that really sticks out in my mind, um, it's that. As in, and, I'm, and I'm certainly hoping that the audience would do the same. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And uh, we also kind of see that pattern with some of our clients as well. I mean, not, not, not necessarily every client. Like You don't need to necessarily like put such a strong focus on your customer to see success. It's definitely not a requirement. However, definitely like we see a lot of uh, very successful clients. They're successful because they care about the customer. They talk, they, they pick up the phone and talk to their customers and ask about what they like about the product, you know, how they can improve. Um, and, you know, what's the ROI on that? You know, it's negative ROI, right? But, you know, that's how they continue to figure out how to better serve that type of customer. That's what becomes the most important. I mean, look, at the end of the day, customers are, clients are people, customers are people, you know? Um, I think oh, this is one of the things I think that is important to kind of break through as well for some is that like, remember that it's people. Like it's not just purchases, it's not just add to carts, you know? Like there's people on the other side. And even if you don't like, you know, necessarily kind of like bend over backwards and kind of try to talk to them, like the more that you remember they're actually people, like that actually like humanizing that whole process, that funnel, helps your marketing as well because it allows you or forces you to think about a way that okay these are not just numbers these are people like how do i think about like who the audience is how do i put myself in their own shoes what do they actually need and that's going to help your marketing a ton as well this one is a particular one that i'm i'm curious about uh, because there is you know competition um and so, so much so that i've interviewed um you know, a couple of other companies uh, in the in the same uh, boat as you. Um, I haven't talked to anybody who officially works for Amazon. Just people who work, you know, with Amazon or in some cases in spite of Amazon. And and I'm wondering how much of the you know the the competition between um, you know the the Goliaths like that, uh, other companies in in the e-commerce space, even other ones you know in, in China who are doing their own fulfillment thing. How much does that competition have an impact on you? And does the squeeze come from them or? Um, do you feel like you're more like you're carving out your own unique part of the industry that's uh, uniquely your objective? 
Yeah, so we'll talk about Amazon first because that also applies uh, to a lot of store owners who are worried about like marketing against Amazon, right? So the thing about Amazon these days is that uh, like five, 10 years ago, if you wanted to buy stuff, go to Amazon, you know? And like, you're gonna trust gonna be good stuff, right? Um, more recently though, I think there has been decreased trust in Amazon products. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be exaggerating to say that it's, 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 it's a lot of the problems from China, uh, Chinese sellers. Right. Chinese sellers, they, they start selling a ton of generic products through like uh, Amazon FBA. They have much lower margin expectations, so they can just like undercut everyone. And now Amazon's becoming a place where, okay, you can you get two-day shipping via Prime, that's fine. Um, but like, uh, like, unless you're buying like a PlayStation, you know, like, okay, like I don't really, this is a cool product, uh, some random brand, I don't know if I can trust them. And, but Shopify allowed people to build nice looking brands like sometimes in hours if you know what you're doing right so now you have situations where like you have the exact same product but you have a brand on it and, and it's there's marketing on it you can sell it for some of our clients sell it like for double the price of amazon and it still works even though people are definitely searching for stuff on amazon as well and, and you know why it's worked because people are starting to get a little bit jaded with uh, kind of unbranded goods on amazon brands they don't heard of um Brands that don't have a website, you know, like there is kind of a feeling that, okay, this brand isn't a website, like, ah, like, you know, it's like, is it really legitimate? It was probably from China anyways, right? Um, so this is where kind of like, I think for store owners, don't worry about Amazon. Like, people are always worried about Amazon. People are like, don't ever price compete with Amazon on the same product. You're never going to win. You're literally never going to win. You know, do better marketing, do better branding them, show the customer there's something better about your product, even though maybe it's the same thing, Right. So that's Amazon. Um, that, that's why I don't think it's a competition in what we're doing and what kind of these store owners are doing. In terms of my competition, there is a ton, let me tell you. I mean, it, it is a ridiculously crowded industry, right? Because, okay, so last couple of years, a lot of AliExpress sellers, they smartened enough and realized, hey, there's this thing called drop shipping, right? Uh, so, well, it's much easier to be a drop shipping agent than to, okay, like run, you know, kind of like an Amazon-like store and just hope that orders come in. So uh, there's been a huge influx of, you know, folks who were just AliExpress sellers who are now like private dropshipping agents. Uh, so there is a lot of people like trying to compete for the same client base. So I will tell you, it's, it's one of the most competitive industries that I've ever been in. Um, but similar to how a store owner should think about marketing as well in a supposedly saturated market, right? You do better. You do better than everyone else and you, are, you articulate your value as well. And this is where we actually do better, right? Because the average, um, the average other agent is like a guy or like, you know, like a couple of people like in like, you know, an apartment or something, you know? Um, you know, I've had the fortunate, um, I've been fortunate that I've actually had a business training. So I actually like know how to scale up a business, make sure that we can actually support um, increasing capacity that supports our clients, right? What normally happens with most other suppliers is that, okay, Q4 happened, you know, like there are literally physical constraints to fulfillment, right? Like, one fulfillment worker, like depending on what product it is, like a couple hundred, you know, orders per day, you know, like a thousand, you're going to like, just like crush them. Like, I'm like, you know, like just working all night uh, and that's it. Right. And what happens if a couple of your clients all scale up? You know, that's exactly what happens when they scale up. Um, you know, they, they think that now they're working with a private agent, everything will be better. 
you don't realize that they have higher radiation, which is an AliExpress seller, or maybe still an AliExpress seller, to be honest. They might still have an AliExpress, AliExpress store on the side as well. So yeah, it, it is a hugely competitive um, industry. And I think it kind of mirrors just dropshipping in general. Like, look, I'm not going to lie, dropshipping and e-commerce is hugely competitive. I mean, such low barrier of entry. I mean, just like how it's so easy to be a dropshipping agent, it's so easy to start a, a, like a, drop, a, a, a Shopify store and start marketing it. But people still win. And people win by doing something different. You know, people win by um, finding the right angle, building up their back end, you know, caring about their customers, building a brand and articulating a brand. Um, so, yeah, you know, so... Even with all the competition, we've been scaling this far and, and mostly organically. And I think that's also, you know, kind of a good, good sign, you know, for, you know, kind of a good lesson for even dropshippers as well, store owners as well, is that, you know, just don't worry about saturation as much. Um, there's still a lot of opportunity, but try to do something different, try to do something better. Well, I, I think that's a, that, that's a fantastic answer as well. And, and it reminds me just like every time I get an email from AliExpress about like a new product offer or something like that, I don't know. I just, I don't respond to it the same way I do when I get like an, an offer from a branded store or something like that. I'm like, you guys, it takes forever to get things. Why are you marketing to me? It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's very uncanny valley when I, when I, when I get emails from AliExpress because they are, you know, it's, it's, it's a marketplace. It's a, it's a, it's an online store. And yet I'm just so far removed from treating it like that. Um, but on the, on the other hand, I also appreciate, you know, whenever I see a product being marketed to me now, and I like these arthritis gloves that I, uh, that I wear every opportunity I get, I think. Oh, we've done a lot of those, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, being, being, uh, being past the veil, you know, I, I see how much they're being marketed for. And then I see how much they are in AliExpress. I'm like, I'm going to go on AliExpress. I'm going to buy a bunch of them at the same price. But that's the luxury of, 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 of knowing that. And not everybody has that. I'm going to, uh, I just have one other like nugget question for you and then uh, we'll wrap this up. So this is from one of your Facebook posts and you have to forgive me if like it, it maybe uh, it was posted and you know, she didn't, didn't have a chance to look at that. So if that's the case, sorry, but long, it's funny because we just mentioned uh, long shipping times and you guys talk about some of the things that sellers can do to, I guess, like soften the blow of these long shipping times. Um, is, is that to your recollection? Did you want to uh, touch on that for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I don't remember the exact post. I talked a lot about that before. Uh, so you might have need to remind me kind of a little bit more detail of the post or, you know, what did I actually say? Oh, okay. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the, the Facebook post up. So off the top of my head, it's essentially like what, what's advice to give to people who have to deal with long loading times as sellers and how they can, you know, ease the burden for the, uh, for the customers. Yeah. Okay. So look, uh, last year, COVID happened. It was last year, right? It seemed like forever. Yeah. So last year was COVID. the longest 14 days of my life. <laughs> last year was COVID. And um, COVID was probably the worst thing to ever happen. Well, it's like a tragedy, like in itself, not just business, but uh, in the industry, in terms of logistics from China, it's, it's you know, dropshipping. It's, it's the worst thing that has happened. Probably the worst thing that will ever happen, you know, in the near foreseeable future. There were, um, there were periods afterwards where, Something that would normally take five to eight days going to the U.S. sometimes got delayed up to thirty days. You know, sometimes even more, right? Um, and that and that was brutal, right? Um, so that is a perfect example of just extremely long shipping times, and a lot of a lot of dropshippers and even a lot of suppliers actually just completely got out of the game. Like they, they didn't even fulfill for their clients or like uh, you know their their customers and, you know, a, a, a lot of stores honestly just didn't fulfill their orders. 
that's actually why like there were a lot of Facebook bans like the end of last year because like a lot of like it was it seemed like scams basically right um what I what we always told our clients during that time was look um well first of all it's COVID so like there's some understanding as well right um but customers don't get pissed just because something happens right some do but like generally speaking like they get pissed if they feel lied to they get pissed if they don't understand what's going on right even during normal times sometimes there's delays um and especially during those COVID delays what i always told my clients is communicate with them we know you know it's not going to arrive in eight days anymore all right don't tell them it's going to arrive in eight days right put it up front that because of COVID, because of these delays, you know, there can be some extreme delays, you know, we apologize. And even for the cases where, okay, like before we knew there were going to be delays, there were clients already advertising five to eight day shipping. Um, and then the delays started happening. Email your customers, explain to them the situation, right? Um, and the clients who did that, like, it was pleasant, it was a huge pleasant surprise to see the actual effect. Um, there's obviously some that want refunds, you know, but not that high of a rate. You know, I wouldn't say it would be like, you know, 50%, you know, maybe like 5% want refunds, but still like most of the customers, they were completely understanding, you know, they got it and they appreciate the store owner, uh, the VA reaching out to them. So that's really how you deal with it. Um, you know, if there's unexpected delays now, obviously like the other thing is that you do want as fast shipping as possible. So like definitely do work with an agent and supplier that offers you fast enough and efficient shipping lines as well. And then just put it up, you know, on your site, you know, what the expected shipping times are. A lot of folks out there, especially when trying to compare with Amazon prime, like, Oh, I don't have two day shipping. Like no one's going to buy from my store. If I say like five to 10 day shipping, like that is absolutely not true. I mean, like people have made like eight figures, like, you know, promising eight to 10 shipping, eight to 10, eight to 10 day shipping, you know? Um, so, you know, definitely like as long as you put it up front, um, now obviously look, you know, if, 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 if they want two day shipping, then they're not going to buy from you anyways, but like, if you promise that, like they're going to be pissed off and report you to Facebook anyway. So that's not a way, but yeah, you know, I think that, you know, this is kind of one of the, the great things about like why China fulfillment works is you obviously have to have the right product, right? Obviously if you're selling a product that they can, they know they can just buy from Amazon. Like that's not going to work, right? Like, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, you know, whatever like common product that, you know, you can buy from Amazon anyway, like don't sell that stuff, right? Don't sell like Gillette, like razors, for example. You know, um, but but there are so many products in this world where like uh, you know people don't even know it exists. You know, and you know that's kind of one of the great things about running Facebook ads, right? Because um, it's um, it's not intent based. It's it's like de demand based, right? Like they see an ad and they just want it. They really want it. They might kind of shop around for like oh like oh but Amazon has this weird brand. You know this. These guys have like kind of like a nice brand at least. I trust these guys more. Uh, five to ten days, whatever. I don't need it right away. Right. It's not like toilet paper or something. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think that long shipping, as long as it's not like 30 days, it's totally manageable. And like I said, even when there are unexpected delays, uh, production delays, you know, um, just manage your customers and enough of them will be understanding that you're not going to lose money. Right. Like, I mean, you, 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 you always got to you know, kind of consider your margins. Right. Like 
maybe if you get like 20% refunds then you start to like lose money, right? But I guarantee you, like if you do the right things and communicate, even in unexpected delays, you're not going to get 20% refunds. Terrific. Well, I think that, uh, that really helps clear up um, an issue that I'm, I know I've had, but I'm certain a lot of people, a lot of my audience will probably um, have that issue as well. So that is going to be is going to be it uh, and Dayo, this has just been terrific i've really learned a lot from you today so I, I i truly appreciate your time i appreciate it our our final question is well it's actually in two parts one if there's any last bits of wisdom that you like sharing um chinese proverb something along those lines more than welcome to share it and then let the audience know how they can find out more of what you're up to and get in touch even yeah you know no chinese proverb you know i i, I i've never been good at those um one thing I'll, I will say, I was kind of reminded of this when I was talking by my, by my own experience as well, is that like, I mean, I, I failed so many times in my entire career. Uh, it's been such an up and down, like nothing is ever a straight line, right? And like, I failed so many times, like, you know, different stores, you know, like for a while, actually, like my Cody product was like, I was kind of like worried about being failure. They want to shark tank everything better, obviously. Um, you're going to fail a lot, you know, especially if you're starting out, like, you, like you're going to fail in product testing and like stuff is just not going to work. But in my experience is that every single failure is just an experience to just learn from your mistakes, definitely learn from your mistakes, you know, don't just like move on and don't learn from it. But where we got today, where I am today is just based really just on the foundation of all these failures and just learning from those and just really adjusting for the better. And I think that lesson applies to any kind of business. And I think it particularly applies to something like dropshipping or e-commerce, right? Because you're going to have a potentially high and fast failure rate, you know, like, and you want to do that, right? Uh, you, you want more chances at that and you want to improve every time. So, you know, that's kind of like one thing that I definitely want people to take away. And, and yeah, you know, I think that, um, like, I think that, uh, like I said before, we really specialize in helping people scale up. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of related to that as well is that, um, don't, don't worry about failure, but also like, don't aim too low either. Right. Uh, don't like think, Oh, I have a mid six figure store. I'm pretty happy. I'm going to stay cushy. You know, like you can do so much more. Um, if, if you stay steady, like, most likely than not, you're going to eventually fail with that store anyways, you know? So like always push it to the next level, figure out how you improve your operations, improve your supply chain. And then, you know, I guess that's just to us, you know, we, we specialize in that. We specialize in the folks to get you to the next level. We're not going to be perfect for testing, use AliExpress for that. Um, but once you are ready to scale to that next level and really work with experts, work, work with a partner in your supply chain, that's where you come find us. So uh, we're ecom ops. Uh, we have a website, ecomops.com. Uh, one really great way to, to, to communicate with us though, is that we do have a Facebook group, uh, just ecom ops, Facebook group. Uh, that's where we have a community. I'm always in there. We, we share a ton of knowledge. Uh, if you're new, you're welcome as well. Right. If you're experienced, come and chat with us and we'll just start a conversation. Right. Um, I think that, in the spirit of this not being a transactional service, like, you know, we love to talk to you. You know, we love to talk to you about your issues. We love to talk to you if you're a good fit, we're a good fit. And if we're not, that's totally fine. You know, we, we're fine with talking to you anyway. So, yeah, so go to our website, you know, go to our group. Uh, we do also have a YouTube channel to check us out. It's, it's all called EcomOps, by the way, E-C-O-M-M-O-P-S, you know, so just look out for that. Awesome. 
uh, thank you so much. And um, and finally, to my audience as well, uh, thank you all for listening. It is a great honor and privilege to be able to collect this information and share it with all of you. Um, and I look forward to not only to the next time I get to speak to you, Dayu, down the line, but you know what 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 information I'll be lucky to collect uh, in a matter of well, a couple of days from now. No, I'm going into the weekend. I don't do recordings. Got a rest of voice. All right, everybody, take care, and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.